Hello, and welcome to Localities Making Bank podcast with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries take you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph as they share the very stories that have shaped them. We're telling the stories of entrepreneurs and What's interesting about the stories of entrepreneurs is many times all we see is the success. We don't see the struggle. Nobody wants to talk about the struggle. And many times there is a huge struggle that's that's overcome. And that's why today's guest, Jared Omar, is really the perfect guest for us on our first podcast. So, Jared, why don't we start with your beginning and the struggle that you went through in your early life? Uh, sure. I mean, I'll give you kind of the, the 30,000 foot view. Um, you know, I, a lot of the things that I was uh, ashamed of, um, embarrassed, you know, today I wear it like a badge of honor. So uh, at the end of the day, I realized nobody cares about where you came from. They care about where you are, where you're going. Um, and that kind of gave me some motivation to just not let that, let the uh, background or the upbringing be a crutch. Um, but I started, uh, you know, I, my father died of drugs at, uh, he was 39, I was seven. Um, mom and dad separated when I was three, so didn't really have a father figure uh, at all. And then he died when I was seven. Um, mom developed some addictions because of my father. Um, so she really wasn't uh, ideal to raise me much of my childhood. Now, I'll admit I was a challenging kid. I was raised as an only child. I met my brother at 19. I never, uh, that's, uh, that's a story unto itself. I didn't even know I had one. Wow. Uh, he was put up for adoption. Um, but uh, so I was raised as an only child and mom had some challenges of her own battling her own demons. So I was raised by, by my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather had a 300 foot efficiency apartment in Hollywood. And that's where I, I was raised, uh, wow. sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I was with him in that little studio couple futons, uh, half a refrigerator. Uh, it, it was one big room in a closet with a bathroom. That was, that was the place on 56 and Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and uh, didn't do well in school, battled with uh, ADD. Um, had a lot of issues just because, look, I didn't have a father in my life. Um, and, you know, luckily my grandfather was kind of a rock for me, a good foundation. Kind of, for whatever reason, threw a Forbes magazine at me at seven years old and said, start reading articles. So I didn't know what I was reading. He just wanted me to see the numbers and to see that I'm capable of more than where I came from. Um, at 1500 bucks a month is what he raised me with, uh, Social Security um, and, a, and an Army pension. Um, the one thing I saw is somebody consistently giving to causes that, were pa- that he was passionate about. So that kind of resonated with me as I got older. Um, but in the beginning, you know, it's just he was, you know, he was schooling me. Um, in uh, emotional intelligence. Um, he couldn't really help me on academics. I wasn't destined for college. I didn't go to college. Matter of fact, I didn't even finish high school. Um, I got my GED with, I don't know, maybe a few cl- uh, credits or classes to go. Um, I was on my own at 17. I moved out. I never looked back. So that was part of the reason why I didn't graduate high school. I tried a couple of months, uh, actually no, about six months uh, in college at what used to be Broward Community College and just realized that I'm probably best suited for sales, uh, not so much getting a degree. And uh, I was pretty good at it. I got into, um, uh, in the late 90s, there was an infomercial uh, that uh, Carlton Sheets, uh, 
if you if you're anybody's old enough to remember Carlton Sheets, he was the guy at two in the morning telling you to buy houses with no money down. So um, I, I was always kind of fascinated with real estate or the idea of owning something tangible like that. So I bought that course. Um, they had a whole layaway program, so I as I couldn't afford it, and I bought that course and worked it hard. Um, it was nothing but cold calls, trying to find the guy who was tired of the tenant turnover, tired of the guy, tired of taking out the trash and dealing with uh, renovations and everything else. So it was commercial. You were going after right from the beginning. No, it was all bills? it was all residential. Oh, residential. Okay. Yeah, residential. We we wound up getting um, a couple guys. To t- I wound up getting a uh, an older gentleman to take a chance on me. I got in the house with no money down. Uh, he held paper. He had a for- first mortgage on the house. And um, he had a terrible tenant. I dealt with the eviction process. Got that tenant out. Brought another tenant in for several hundred dollars more a month. I fixed it up with a couple of buddies of mine. And realized. And then all of a sudden I had, I don't know, $150 of cash flow a month. And that was your first deal? That was the first deal I ever did. And how old were you then? I was uh, 20. 20. Okay, yeah. wow. So, I mean, that story that he just told absolutely floors me. And the reason most of all is because I, I've known Jared for a while and I see a, a young, successful guy, multimillionaire, and I'm looking at Jared and I'm saying, this guy obviously came from a wealthy family. There's no way anybody can make that much money without coming from wealth. And when I heard that story, I was just so blown away that you know, again, I'm just so appreciative of you for coming in and telling your story. First of all, because to be that authentic and vulnerable with your past and you're creating such a benefit for so many people by sharing that story, but it's not an easy story to share. And as you said, you kept it to yourself for a long time. For sure. And, uh, and can I, can I say you, you had a book coming out uh, soon? Yeah. Is, that, is yeah. that okay to say? You know, okay, I, felt, so. I felt for a long time I had a book in me. Um, I've kind of, I procrastinated for a couple of years, but I decided in 2022, that was the year that I, I'm going to put pen to paper, find a publisher and, uh, and get the story out. Again, as somebody who was at, at, at a certain point looking to raise dollars for my real estate deals uh, and also in the financial services industry, um, I started with selling life insurance and again, just trying to find anything sales related that I could as somebody that did not have a, a college degree. Um, those, those early beginnings are something that I held very close to the vest. I, it's not something I wanted to get out because I thought that it would be a hindrance of from somebody taking a leap of faith uh, with me to, you know, right. invest a dollar or, you know, buy a product from me. So what, so you had some early successes. So, I mean, so you had this, you know, difficult upbringing. And so what would you say was the turning moment for you that, you know, you broke away and you, is there a defining moment that you can identify in your life when you said, I'm heading in this direction and it's business and real estate? Um, yeah, you know, I might as well tell you because uh, it's in the book. It's actually the first uh, paragraph in the book. I think a real defining moment was when I was 19 years old, uh, no, 18 years old, I was, I was hanging with a, a bad crowd and um, I wound up getting arrested for, um, there was a lot of stolen stereo equipment in a car of four guys. And I was 18 years old. I just turned 18 and um, nobody talked. And the three guys that I was with, they come from pretty comfortable families. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all got arrested. We all, um, three of them got bailed out. And I, my mother didn't have money to bail me out. My grandfather didn't have money to bail me out. 
So I went into jail and general population for a couple days. And that was a, uh, that was, that was an interesting moment in my life. Uh, and, um, I remember it was overpopulated to the point that the pods were all filled and everybody just had sleeping bags where you would sit and eat. So it was just packed. And, you know, you talked to a couple of people over those two days. And I remember the, um, uh, I remember looking at it, I was like, all right, this is pretty bad. I just turned 18 and I'm in jail. And um, there was an older gentleman right at the time that they say, they said, Elmar bag and baggage, which means somebody bailed you out. Yeah. Uh, and the guy looks at me, he's an older guy, and he says, uh, you don't belong here. Don't come back here. Wow. So that, that was a memorable <laughs> moment for me that I feel like I was destined for something better than this. Yeah. Uh, and thank God, because I was actually on probation for underage drinking. I got nabbed for underage drinking two or three times in a month period that I was, you know, I was just running around, hanging out, yeah. you know, just, uh, just was again, just with a bad crowd. And, and I blame myself too, you know? Uh, and that, uh, that, that changed things for me. And I said, okay, so now let me, let me figure out what I want to do. Do I want to go to college? Do I want to get into, uh, you know, work for a company? You know, do I want to start my own business? That testimony, that, uh, infomercial, um, kind of changed things for wow. me. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. That's, and I'm going to work it hard as hell because, you know, I'm at the basement right now and I got nothing to lose. Yeah. So that, that really changed it. That so moment. that was kind of like that first um, lesson or that first instruction that you got. And then, so you went from zero to a million dollars by the time you're 27. So what other mentors did you have? What other relationships guided you from zero to a million by the time you're 27? So when it came to... Um, you know, the, the course gave me a, a, fu a fundamental education about real estate, but to find people that have done it over and over again, that I can collaborate, that I can, you know, to learn the do's and the don'ts, um, that really didn't come so much in the real estate in industry in the beginning. It came in the financial services industry. Uh, I'm in my 20s and I'm trying to sell products for estate planning. Uh, and I wasn't really believable as a young guy talking to dentists and doctors and maybe people that are looking to transfer wealth. So I, I felt I had to find kind of a front man, if you will. I knew I was the, the energy and I could be the machine to a company, but I needed the front man. And I was lucky enough to find a great partner uh, who had a securities license, who had an inroad with an, a couple exclusive communities uh, in Boca Raton at the time. And um, I teamed up with him. And he did not have as much energy and he had kind of a silver spoon. He married well but he had an inroad into a place that I didn't, where there was, you know, wealthy individuals yeah. looking to, you know, plan for, uh, you know, their demise and, you know, yeah. offset estate taxes and everything else I was looking for. That was my first, um, that was my first real collaboration. I wouldn't call him so much a mentor, but I realized that I had to find somebody more seasoned than me in that industry and basically in any industry uh, to, to, you know, get a good foundation and, uh, you know, hit the, hit the ground running. Um, and, that, and we wound up doing a radio show for a good seven years, Monday through Friday. And that drove a lot of, a lot of business. And I was closing everything. He was really just kind of opening the door because he looked, you know, he, he, he looked very presidential. Okay. So he looked the part, but I was on the radio talking. I was the one who was closing the deals, but it, and the, for a good seven years, that was, it was a great, it was a great partnership. Great. 
um, that was the first. Uh, that was the first real feeling of uh, wow. Okay, I, I've I've turned the corner here. Yeah. And then any other significant relationships or partners that that came along um, or or mentors? I know you mentioned your your grandfather. Yeah, um, he was he was the first, and it's funny. Um, you know, the guy was Superman to me. You know, he was my rock in my uh, in my upbringing. Um, there's nothing the guy couldn't do, in my opinion. As I get older, as I got older, I realized, you know, the guy who I thought was the Messiah, um, he had a lot of faults too. And I learned what not to do from him. And I learned what not to do from a lot of my mentors, sure. uh, people that you know very well. And the guy who actually got me into commercial real estate, he's an amazing educator and he's taught me so much. And I learned what to do and what not to do through him as well. Um, so... Is that Ben you're talking about? Uh, ben as well. Oh, yeah. and, and then there yeah. was a, there was another that, can you mention? Sure. Uh, yeah, there was in 2000 and, um, in 2010, so just like everybody, in the fourth quarter of 08, um, we had, you know, I had a big upswing. I, I took, we took an insurance company, an insurance agency, specialty lines insurance agency with that radio show. We took it from zero to $10 million in revenue uh, from 2000 and to 2008. Okay. Um, and we did it with no debt. We did it just grassroots. It was a great time and a lot of luck played, uh, played a role in that quick surge in, in business and, and uh, you know. Uh, so you made a lot of, you made your first money with that radio show. Yeah, look, it always helps yeah. when your first deal goes right. <laughs> uh, that, that definitely puts you in pole position. Yeah, uh, that's and, and that happened. It's, yeah. it's just a compounding effect. Okay. So, um, the only problem was I, I hit success early because of the timing. It was a lot of luck and, you know, I, it was hustle and grit and I recognized that, you know, seize the moment right now. And this is kind of how I was wired. Uh, then the fourth quarter of eight hit and in the first three quarters of 2008, we crushed it. We did really well. And I wasn't in an inventory business. I was in a service business. So there was only so much money you're going to reinvest in your business when you don't have inventory. So I continued to build my own real estate portfolio on my own, all residential. We, I built up to about uh, 55 houses, uh -huh. um, starting with the houses from the course. Then I got into um, uh, uh, going to the courthouse steps in several counties and buying houses in the courthouse steps. Foreclosures, yeah. And, and not flipping the houses, actually fixing them up and renting them out. So I built the portfolio of 55 houses. And you, I, and you were doing that during the time you were doing the radio show yeah. and, and everything? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I had a guy up in Atlanta. So you had a side hustle going and... and uh, Completely. Wow. Yeah. And working that hard on the radio show at the same time. Yeah, and the wow. reality was the cash flow was not not I, not like we were doing in the insurance business. Insurance business, we were crushing it. Yeah. The cash flow was okay, but the values of the houses were going up dramatically, if you remember, you know, yeah. with four, oh five, it was oh, nuts, wow. so six. Yeah. So I wound up getting an unsolicited offer in 2007. Not because I'm so smart, but because I got a great offer and it was stupid not to sell. So I sold the bulk of the portfolio in 07, which again, just dumb luck. <laughs> um, and the world falls apart, but I have a little bit of cash reserves. And which was great because our, my overhead, my personal overhead, the business overhead was up here. And those are all the things that I learned now going into what I believe to be a, a somewhat of a correction. Um, I know what to do and what not to do and I know when to do it because of what happened in, in that moment. Now, not every recession has to look like 2008, but at least I, I have uh, the catastrophic plan. Yeah. Um, all set up. And um, in 2009, 2010, uh, I wanted to convert, I wanted to transition into um, uh, commercial real estate because I figured, I felt that was the way to scale. 
And in 2006, I went to a wealth expo where Trump spoke, uh, George Foreman, uh, Colin, uh, Colin Powell, um, just, you know, larger than life characters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there was a guy who was talking about, um, commercial real estate and how you can get into commercial real estate with little to no money down. I was like, wow, this worked really well in residential. <laughs> this is the next mentor. Yeah. This is the next guy that I'm going to, I'm going to listen to. So it was 06. We were still doing really well. So I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but I, I listened to his course. I bought his course at that wealth expo and it was called Colossal Cash and his name was Scott Shield. And um, I listened to that until the CDs skipped. Wow. And in 2010, when I'm reinventing myself, trying to figure out how to pick myself up out of the ashes of what happened in 2008, I, I looked him up and I found he was doing a boot camp in Atlanta. And that was the next stage of my career. And I'm okay. like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This is the, uh, the next step. And, and, you know, I did it last time. I'm going to do it again. And it was just great timing again. So I got into multifamily. And, and is that when you formed Geneva Group? That was when Geneva Group was good. 2009, we formed okay. Geneva Group. Yeah. Cool. And, um, and it, you know, he was the guy that, you know, we, we, we bought it. The first commercial deal I bought was a 156-unit apartment complex. And it was, it was in the hood. I mean, it was, I knew the market because I had houses scattered all over that county. Mm -hmm. So I knew the good pockets from the bad pockets, but this was not the best area. Matter of fact, this county lost their school accreditation. Was it um, they in lost Florida bus or line. was it? This is actually Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. So I actually lived in Atlanta for four years yeah. and then I moved back home, uh, moved back down here. But um, Atlanta was kind of low hanging fruit. So I was able to raise money here in South Florida and created a, uh, you know, something that my, the investors in South Florida didn't have, which was a new market. So I bought that 156 unit apartment complex inside of 30 days. I had a murder. I had two fires. <laughs> I had a strong arm robbery. Wow. I had a truck go through one of the buildings. This was Atlanta. So it's, you know, hilly. Yeah. Uh, and the guy didn't put it in a park. It was a manual transmission and it rolled down the hill right into somebody's living room. <laughs> so I had everything that could possibly go wrong on my wow. first deal um, happen in the first 12 months of ownership. And finally, I got it all cleaned up. It looked beautiful. Um, I, I, it started cash flowing then. And I, all the while, I had this mentor, that uh, Scott. Yeah. And he says, and he came on site with me and he looked around. He says, okay, I would do this. I would do that. Listen to everything he said. And then when it came time to decide whether I want to keep or sell, I'm like, no, I want to build a portfolio just like I did last time. I want to hang on to it. He says, I don't disagree that you want to hang on to real estate long-term, commercial real estate long-term, but not this one. Mm. This is, you did a great job. It looks beautiful. It's never going to look or be more valuable than it is today. You're, you're going to have to renovate the whole thing again 12 months from now, you know, because of where it's located. Yeah. So P.S., uh, I wound up selling the deal and we killed it for our investors. It was the first syndication I ever did where I raised money for a deal. And worked out really well. I had proof of concept with my investors. I stockpiled my own cash. And, um, and I sold it. And P.S., that deal has traded two other times. Uh, I, was, I got out at the right time. He was 100% right. If I would have kept it, I probably would have been stuck in the deal and I couldn't get out. There was homicides that happened shortly. Wow. Uh, a couple other homicides that happened shortly after. This time with some teenagers a couple of years ago with that property. Yeah. The guy who owns it now is never going to get out. So, so he was such a, obviously such a great mentor and teacher for yes. you. Uh, and, and that was this course that you went, you went through. Is yeah. he still doing that? Oh, yeah. Or? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I have now, and I told him a long time ago when, uh, when I first started, I said, I want to be your best student you've ever had. And he says on a transactional volume and 
how teachable you are, you are. You're my number one student. So now I'm on the uh, on the stage with him. And his uh, name talking. again is? Scott Shield. Scott Shield. Yeah. So it's interesting because you see now a lot of promotions of, you know, everywhere you look, right? There's somebody promoting, oh, you can get rich with this, you can get rich with crypto, you get rich with stocks, you get rich with, you know, all these different uh, promotions, especially with the, on social media, right? So it's nice to hear that you actually followed uh, twice, right? One of these kind of uh, sessions and really learned and applied the stuff. So part of that I think is probably the material, but also credit to you because you probably worked it 110%. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I only know how to, ro I only know one speed. Now, sometimes that gets me into trouble. Um, these days I have a team that, you know, run at 75, 80 miles an hour while I'm running at 120. So they're pulling me back, which is great. Uh, but at that time I had nothing to lose. So why not just yeah. go, go big. And that, I, I would say that that's something that the young entrepreneur that's just getting started, um, you know, listen, I know if you're married, you have a kid, all of a sudden you, you really have to focus on the paycheck, but you're really short, you're shortchanging yourself. Um, you're shortchanging your family. Uh, the whole idea it's meant to be, it's up to me attitude is, it's a bittersweet feeling because um, if everybody was a hard worker, it would be a lot harder for guys like me. <laughs> On the flip side, I feel like everybody's their own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, if you're not hustling hard and 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 focused on the greater good of your your own self-development, your family, and well beyond, um, you know you're only on this planet 80 years if you're lucky, 90 years if you're really lucky. Uh, you you got to be here for more than just yourself and your family. Wow. I truly believe that we're we're here to bring as many people as we can and the and, and create the upward surge of humanity. That is. Um, that is such great advice to, to everybody, really. And so, I mean, that was a question which you or, already, you know, answered, answered very well. Um, you know, I guess they say uh, a salary is what they give you to sell your dreams, right? Right. So I've, I've heard that from a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, they realized early in their career if they took a job, they would never go do something on their own because it's real easy to get hooked on that paycheck. It is. It um, is. But, it's, uh, you know, it's entrepreneurship's not for everybody either. It's hard. It's very hard, as you can tell from, from what Jared's been through. Um, you know, so we touched on philanthropy a little bit. You mentioned early on that, you know, you saw your grandfather even, you know, with his limited means giving. And, you know, you, you want to amplify on, on that theme a little bit? Yeah. Because you, um, you've obviously taken it to another level. And... I don't know. There was a couple of people prodding me along the way before I really said, okay, this is, uh, this is something that I, I'm passionate about. My grandfather always gave to two causes that were, he was very passionate about. One was uh, with Jewish causes. Uh, he was in World War II. Uh, you know, he was, um, you know, he taught me about the Holocaust at a young age. Mm -hmm. I was never bar mitzvah and I had no connection to my faith until later in life. Really after my daughter was born is where I'm like, all right, I, need to have some type of connection to a faith because I want my kid to know there's something greater than herself out there. And um, uh, so that, I feel like I kind of owed the Jewish community something because I wasn't, I didn't have the faith early on. Uh, and the other one for him was uh, wounded veterans. You know, he, he was lucky enough to get plucked out of this monster room to become a corporal so he didn't have to go overseas. Mm. But he knew a lot of people uh, that uh, was, that went overseas and never came back. Yeah. 
So wounded veterans were, were very much uh, uh, where he was passionate. And I saw him do it every single month for a guy who we were living in a 300 foot apartment, raising a kid uh, at 1500 bucks a month. Wow. But he always, every month consistently gave. Wow. So that was something that I always stuck with me. Um, later on, in bit, while, while you know, I was doing well quickly in business, um, it was, I don't want to say it was empty because it was a lot of fun coming from nothing and actually, you know, building that kind of uh, revenue in a business uh, early on. But I feel like there was something missing. And I had a buddy of mine who said, you know, you're from Broward. Broward Federation, Jewish Federation needs you. Palm Beach has old money. Dade County is five times the size. Broward needs guys like you. We're the average age of 70 years old that are donors. You're doing really well. You need to start giving. And I'm like, okay. And, and it wasn't altruistic. I, I got involved in it because we were sponsoring events and I wanted people to do business with us. Yeah. So I always, when I, anytime I speak to, uh, you know, these uh, uh, divisions within uh, uh, nonprofits, I tell these young business owners to, to be selfish, give to be selfish. But as a friend of mine said, it exercises philanthropy muscle. And every year, or for me, every quarter that I give something meaningful to causes that I'm passionate about, it, it gives me a little bit more motivation, a little bit more strength to do more and more and more. And every year I wanna parlay it and add, add to what I did the previous year. And doing that since 2006, now, I, 10% of my income doesn't belong to me. Um, chunks of money that I give to organizations or even to families directly that we've done over the years during uh, the holiday times, uh, giving away vehicles. Um, it's, it's something that is a part of me now and it's actually a part of my office. We actually have a char charity committee. Um, and I feel like exercising that philanthropy muscle um, is, is the reason why I give more and more and more. And now I have this monster goal yeah. uh, to give away 80% of what I have and accumulated. you put a number on that too, right? What'd you, what's the number? Uh, as far as worth? Well, I figured- well, what, what was the number that you gave? Is, uh, I've heard it. Was it 200, 200 million you want to get to? Yeah, 250 more? million is the number. 250, so it's going up. So, so 200, well, here's <laughs> the right, problem. Yeah. I, like, I like the finer things, right? I like conveniences of life. <laughs> so the hard part is living on the 20%. <laughs> so- I, you know, I realized that the goals that I set for myself, I've hit them every single year. I, I, I'll be damned if I don't hit them. So now to come up with a lofty goal to say, okay, I want to create 250 million so I can give 200 million away or so, uh, that's a lofty goal. Yeah. And now I got to figure out how to live on the rest. So um, that's, again, that's, that it's not about, it's, it's, again, it's not about making a dollar. It's about making the difference. And, and that, Giving that kind of money, I've done the math. There's some changes that I can make on things that I'm passionate about, um, and that's why I've kind of come up with that number. And look, you got to have a, you got to have that number. You got to be very specific in your goals. I know it's somewhat of a cliche, and everybody hears about it, but it is amazing when you actually put pen to paper. Um, and if you continue to uh, review your goals on a on a monthly or at least a quarterly basis of the year, it's amazing how fast you, you hit them. And that's another great piece of advice, really, about being specific with your goals, setting specific numbers. So um, anything else that you want to share before we go to the lightning round? Um, you know, look, I, I'd venture to say that, you know, people that are going to be listening to the podcast, uh, young business owners um, looking to, you know, figure out how they how they get through challenges, how they see around corners in a time of such uncertainty, right? This is, this is kind of a, a weird time. We've never seen this before. I mean, 
the idea of quantitative tightening is, is something new for all of us. So we don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of factors at play that we haven't seen before. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, the idea of collaboration, the idea of having mentors, joining organizations where you can share war stories and find out what your brethren or even people in other industries are doing to mitigate risk to, you know, uh, uh, you know, to be sustainable. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. As a commercial real estate guy, as somebody who uh, leverages, um, sustainability is everything. You know, get through the ebbs and flow of, of the market cycles, um, owning real estate and having to pay, you know, a master to serve, which is the lender. I know that if I stay low leverage uh, and, and maybe bring in more equity than debt, I could be much more sustainable. So, and that's the problem with guys that are, have only experienced a upward trajectory in my industry, everybody thinks they're smart and, and a, good, a good market hides a lot of mistakes. And I see that happening a lot right now. Everybody's over leveraging, uh, not, not everybody. The banks are a lot smarter, but a lot of the investors out there have figured out a way to leverage higher and higher and higher. private money out there, financing 100%, yeah. 100%. And I'm sitting there kind of licking my chops knowing that you know it's coming, it's coming yeah. around and the opportunities are gonna present itself for value-add guys like me. But sustainability is the name of the game in any industry. So find the organizations that, that you can work with other industries and figure out what they're doing um, to, uh, you know, to, to mitigate their risk. Again, great advice. You know, and as a bank, love to hear that low leverage. I mean, we don't want to deal with people. If, if somebody comes in, so you know, they want to borrow 90% on it, we're like, you obviously don't know what you're doing, right? Right. So, uh, well, great. Thank you, Jared. So... Throughout your career, what financial hurdles have you faced and, and how did you overcome those? Um, as a real estate guy, again, we, we rely heavily on some degree of leverage. So uh, early, in the, early in my career, I recognized how important the small banks, the community banks were, the credit unions were, because when I went to get more conventional debt uh, from national chartered banks or non-bank lenders, somebody who didn't have a lot of experience other than residential, they weren't willing to take a shot on me because I didn't, I, I didn't fit the exact profile. I couldn't check all the boxes. So one thing that really gave me my start is building the relationship with, with a couple local banks, uh, which was one was my first apartment complex. The second was uh, uh, a deal that we bought in Pompano Beach. And they were bigger deals than I ever did before. And the second deal was a lot bigger than they did than the first deal, price-wise and size. Uh, they understood that I knew the market. They understood that I did my homework, uh, and they understood the property. So it Are was the a lot. Still around? I'm just curious. Like uh, one oh. is one's actually out of uh, Atlanta. Okay. Um, yeah, Century Bank in Cartersville. Right. I think it's Century Bank. Really? Yeah. Okay. In Cartersville, any Georgia. Banks, any bank. local banks here? Um, well, yeah, we actually had one. <laughs> it was it was uh, community bank. With, with our community bank with, of Broward. Uh, Broward, uh, Broward Bank. Broward of Bank of Commerce. Yeah. Broward Bank That's of right. Commerce. You guys provided our, my first ever construction loan. Wow. On a, deal that, that <laughs> on, a, on a deal that we actually thought we were going to have to demo the entire building. Yeah. Luckily, we were able to keep the shell. Uh, but it was a complete right. gut renovation on a 50,000-foot building. Yeah. And once again, we never did this before. We never wow. did a renovation. We've done renovations aesthetically, you know, this and that. That was the first real gut job. It was a $3, 4000000 million renovation. Yeah. Um, which today would have been a six million dollar renovation. So yeah, this it was a uh, so, huge thanks. opportunity. Good, good question, Corey LeBlanc. And Keith, I met I met you <laughs> through one of my investors who happened to be uh, head of oncology at a local hospital. 
and he introduced me to you. And he, I don't even know if he did along with you. I think, I think he just knew the guy on one on one of the boards. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't remember who that was, but yeah, that's so. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. So we, it, it was the it was the relationship, and and, and fast forward uh, just to kind of expand on that. Then you all then all of a sudden you have this black swan event. Yeah. And you have the pandemic, and now I have non bank lenders like life insurance companies, CMBS loans, credit unions, national charter banks, state charter bank loans. I'm spread across every type of lending platform. And the, the ones that worked with us the best are the ones that recognized that we're probably the best person to handle uh, a situation like this, regardless of how long it, how long it goes. So the, the, um, the non-bank lenders, a lot of times the national charter banks, we were communicating via email. The local banks we were on the phone with for long periods of time, letting them know exactly what we're doing, you know, communicating from start to finish, and they took the time. Um, and, and that's, you know, their core business is the local guys. Yeah. So, uh, we, we try to stay focused on with, with the community banks because I've seen it on both sides. I've seen them take a, a chance on me and I've seen how they reacted in a black swan situation. Um, I, I wish they were all during that moment in time. I, I was just thinking, why could, why couldn't they all be state charter banks? Yeah. So, well, um, that's, that is, uh, that's great. And, you know. That's really what we're we're all about. So that's uh, that's nice to hear. That's our that's our business model. So we always try to give you guys and you know all the community banks the first shot. It, it behooves us to it to yeah. do it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I want to just hit you with a couple of sure. uh, uh, what we call the lightning round. So these are just quick answers, just to finish you off. What's your favorite quote? Oh God, I have so many of them. Um, Denzel Washington. Uh, he said, um, "Try to make sure I get this right." Uh, ease is a greater threat to success than hardship. Wow. Love it. It's, and you've uh, lived that. You've proved that. Famous <laughs> person, dead or alive, that you would like to have dinner with? Uh, Ray Dalio. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Very smart guy. Uh, can you recommend a good book? I mean, the first one I have, and, I, and I've, anybody that actually is interested in business and entrepreneurship, uh, Think and Grow Rich is a staple. You wow, got it. That's that's the number one book, and it's been what it was. The first draft was I think 1930, um, 1925 maybe. It's a classic, and it's yeah. still the number one book of all time. Yeah. Happiest time, worst time. Um, whew, same thing, same time. Happiest time, worst time, without a doubt, September 26, 2008. It was the day my daughter was born, and it was the day the world really fell apart. It's when, uh, it's funny, I got, I have the paper, front page of the paper was um, uh, bailout fails in Congress. With um, Lehman. It was, well, a, those, it was, right? at that moment, AIG needed to get bailed oh, out. AIG. And wow. we, I mean, I was in the financial services industry, so I was, I was in the weeds and I truly understood wh what, to a certain degree, how bad things can get. Today, I realize we would have been in the dark ages, and I don't think people recognize how bad it truly was. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, that day was the greatest moment of my life. Wow, and the that was so cool. How about favorite restaurant? Favorite restaurant? Um, <laughs> I'm a big sushi guy, uh, so I would say uh, Sunset Sushi in Boca. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> amazing. Omakase only. And you're obviously in great shape. Sport or activity that you like to use to relax? Um, I mean, I, I hit the gym every day. And I know you got to take the, this couple days off here and there. 
day off a week is good. Um, at 44, I need to start listening to that. But it's amazing. Once again, you exercise the muscle, right? Philanthropy muscle or physical muscle. Anytime I take a day off of the gym, because it's such a routine and embedded in my, uh, in my, in my habits, um, I'm foggy. Like, I, I don't like my days off at the gym. So my favorite thing is it, it, my, the gym is the fortress of solitude. It's the only place that I truly feel absolute control. Um, and uh, I don't think about anything else. Wow. So that's, that's, that's very uh, cool. So uh, how can people get, a, get in touch with you? Um, websites, GenevaGP.com. Uh, we're pretty easy to find. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm, you know, the one thing I, I mentioned, I realized I could do a lot more with my mouth than my checkbook. And though I do both, um, I want to bring as many people as I can with me. So with the organizations that I belong to, uh, I, a couple of them, I'm kind of the, the guy that people go to for advice because I've been through kind of ebbs and flows of the industry. Um, I'm always here to help. I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions, emails. Uh, ben Jay, as we know, is somebody who's done that to, for me all the time. Scott, who educates thousands of people, I still, he, he's still, on, I'm still on his speed dial, and he answers the questions. I want to be able to do that for several, also. So I'm always here to help. That's awesome. That was really a great job by Jared Elmar. So much good advice from this successful uh, real estate developer and investor. Uh, Jared talked about coming up from a humble background, a more than humble, very difficult background where he grew up in a rough neighborhood, his, had really dysfunctional parents and rose above all that to become successful. So what lessons did we learn from him? He talked about using mentors and also he went to some online resources to, to learn about different businesses. He also talked about the importance of using organizations and reaching out and collaborating with others that are also in your business to get advice about what's going on in the market and to kind of size things up. He also spoke about the need to set very specific goals, which he's done in his life. And last, very near and dear to my heart, is the need to form relationships with community banks and credit unions, because a lot of times when you're starting out, a large national bank is not going to be as flexible as a local, smaller bank where you can get to know the people uh, much more easily and they can make decisions more effectively that might not fit the box at a larger organization where they're much more strict. Anyway, we're really happy about having Jared um, and thank you for tuning in. You can find more about Locality Bank at localitybank.com or on our app. You can open an account in three to five minutes. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in for Locality's Making Bank podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes and visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.